Thanks for tuning in to your day off podcast, hosted by your boys, Corey and Tony. I think by the end of today, I might have another best friend. They're committed to making you fall in love with the hair industry, one podcast at a time. Uh, you're going to grab a lot of information. Yeah, you're going to learn a lot. Presented by Hair Industry. Ladies and gentlemen, this is it. Your day off podcast will begin after a word from our sponsors. Sitting with my best friend Tony. What's up, brother? What's up, man? Uh, glad to be your best friend. Oh, well, we'll see at the end of this. So, um, so uh, a couple months ago, we, we recorded a podcast with with two of the most influential people in the industry. I cannot tell you how honored um, that I was then when we were able to get them on the podcast together. Today, we get them back on the podcast. Apparently, we're making some kind of like team thing going on here. Now, you know how like when you get. You know, when you do those certain podcasts and you're like, man, you know, hopefully the everybody else enjoys it as much as we enjoy it. And, and then we get the feedback and they do enjoy it as much as we enjoy it. That's that's what that's a win, is. right? hundred percent. And that's that, that's why we do these things. Um, Listen, last time that um that we uh, that we recorded with these two people, they um we just gave a lot of value. You know, and, and it was a quick conversation and it moved on, but there was a lot of value in it. So um, I actually don't want to waste any time. Yeah. And it's, and it's not just value. These people change people's lives. I mean, literally change their oh. lives and then getting them together and them just bouncing stuff off each other, change more lives. I love this. Yeah. I love that setup too. So on the <laughs> podcast today, we have Mr. Michael Cole, the, uh, the living legend, Michael Cole. Um, we also have Ms. Britt Siva on the podcast. So we're going to mix it up a little bit today. I I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I, I give everyone in the room permission to like, let's mix it up. Like let's, you know, we, last time we were kind of polite. So like, we don't have to be polite this time, you know, mm -hmm. but, but I also don't want to push it either. So, you know, however the conversation goes, it goes. Yeah. We'll just moderate it. Let them to uh, just bounce this beautiful uh, ideas off each other or their inputs. And, uh, and you and I can sit back and then take notes and enjoy it. Let, well, let's, let, let's do it. So Mr. Michael Cole and Ms. Britt Siva, welcome back to your day off. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having us. I'm so excited to be here. And I was going to say, like, let's just let it go how it happens. I feel like we're all friends now. So we can just have like real talk, real conversation yeah. and let it let it go, knowing it's all coming from respect and love and all from a beautiful place. Right. Such a gift. I, 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 I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I think that and I also think that I, I think what we've learned through the industry, certainly through the last few years, is that what's being talked about is that there's more than one way to to, to mm. win the race. Yeah, you hit that nail right on the head. I was exactly, you know, we can uh, agree to disagree and still be both of us be successful. Yeah, exactly. And 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 nothing and none of that ego or none of that stuff should get in the way of the success of our industry. So, shall we get in? So, uh, a, a quick setup is that we all um, did some socials about asking people um, if they had any questions for us because we kind of what's what's interesting about this is that this is uh, legitimately like a Q and A. Um, we've got all of our questions that we're gonna. I don't want to say all of our because I don't know what questions are gonna come up. However, we are we're, we're gonna line it up with um, with questions that came from the audience or came from our our, our followships, our viewerships, or all that stuff. So, uh, first off, any anyone that asked a question uh, for this conversation today, thank you very much, and we definitely. Have have a couple pages of, 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 of questions. So I'm not sure if we're going to get to more than a couple, but, uh, but we have enough to start off the conversation. Yeah. And, and we both, I and mean, we want you, you're both, 
you guys to to talk about it and, and your input on these subjects. Let's do it. All right. Question number one. Are we ready? Drum roll, please. Here it is. I know. So <laughs> this is so weird. So uh, I, I think I'm going to kind of direct it to Brent at first, Michael, but I definitely want Michael to actually, you know what? Maybe I'll do it the other way around. So this is, I'm going to direct this at Michael, let him, and then, and then, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get uh, Brit's input. <laughs> okay. Here's what I know, Michael, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I know me that I'm a very, very early adopter to technology, to, you know, all, all, all the things that, that, that happen. My clients love me because, um, I always have the greatest, uh, uh, Christmas gifts to share with them because, uh, you know, I, I early adopt into things. I think I was the first one in our entire area to have an Alexa when we were first in the studio and now everyone in the studio has an Alexa. Um, I'm just a very early adopter. So with that being said, I am very, very excited about the possibilities of what chat GPT can bring to the industry. Um, I, I'm, I'm excited about how it's going to fare out and how it's going to whatever. So I'm definitely an early adopter. I started playing with it in December, um, just kind of like making weird. Actually, I was asking chat GPT to write stories about my grandson. And then I made the grave mistake of saying, do it in the style of Quentin Tarantino. I do not recommend that to anyone. But, but, but Michael, have you played with it? Oh yeah, I'm 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 like Britt. I've been watching some of her posts. I, I've got uh, what is it? OCD, OA, Chat GPT, obsessive disorder. I just I loved it. Um, and um, I, you know, and you hear all the different spins on it. That it's 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 smarter than the average. You know, dot 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 fill in the blank. But if you really are an innovator, uh, an early adopter, uh, it's, it's become my BFF because I never show, you know, I've heard this like a jillion times, it's as smart as the prompt. So, you know, to the degree that there's depth in the prompt and uh, you just get, so when I show up, it's really, you know, the, 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 the prompt, it's, it's almost, it's not an essay, but it's a paragraph with some bullet points. And I just kind of learned, boy, to the degree that I can be specific in what I'm asking my BFF to do, not so much for me, but with me, uh, it, it, it spits out something that's incredible. And rarely, if, if ever, when I'm done, I, 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 you know, I, just, I don't say thank you and then leave. There's always three or four follow-ups because I'm looking to uh, not so much copy and paste it, but curate the living daylights out of it. And, you know, so that when I'm done, I can go, okay, had I done this by myself, would, would I have, would I've been in the place that I am now? Uh, and the answer for me, no. Uh, and uh, yes, it got me there more, better, faster. And that's wonderful, wonderful. But the real gift, gift with purchase, you know, now I'm signed up for the $20 a month subscription. Uh, for me, is whatever my understanding was that what I brought to the table, it seems like it's like deepened it and, and, and widened it. So all of a sudden, I feel so much more grounded and knowledgeable about whatever it is I was seeking to get uh, not just data, but understanding in. 
We, um, so uh, to be frank and how we've used it is that, um, uh, it's, it, it's the tedious writing for me, right? Like, like I've used it to write a bio and I've used it to write, um, and I use it to write a press release. Um, and then, so what I did is talking about the prompts is I said, Hey, chat GPT act as my PR agent and ask me questions to write my bio. So then it asked me 10 questions and, and like, like what's interesting to me is that I, I know what I want in my bio. I just don't know how to make it sexy, you know? So what chat GPT did is it, is it kind of put like sexy words around it or it kind of like, you know how bios work, you know? And then it did the same thing with the, um, with the press release. Now with the press release, I did have to double back and, 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 and correct probably 10 things in the press release. Like, like for instance, it was for Presley Poe and friends. And um, it, it said Presley Poe is the host of Heritage. So I had to go back in and go, Presley Poe is not the host of Heritage. And then it goes, oh, sorry. And then it rewrote it without Presley Poe being the host of, 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 of Heritage. So again, I think the way that we've used it or the way that I've used it is for the stuff that I wouldn't do. Like I would have never written my own bio. I would have never written my own my own uh, press release. I probably wouldn't even have seeked out someone to write the press release. But I am very happy to have um, the ability and the access to be able to do that. Mm. Brent, what what's your? I'd love to hear what your take is on his question. Really great question, and I'm going to assume that most people know that my viewpoint on AI a little bit. I want to give a little bit of a backstory. So I'm a little bit AI cautious, maybe a lot AI cautious, and I want to share kind of like how I got to this place and my thoughts on chat GPT, because I think the tool itself is rad and I want to make sure that that is the overall like um, viewpoint of like, I think the tool's really cool and I think the capability is amazing. I just want everybody to be like very well aware that like you're playing with an infant right now. Like we are having yeah. fun with the baby. When this sucker grows up, she's going to dominate. And I want everyone to understand that like all babies are adorable. Not all adults, adults are adorable. And I think it's important to realize like we're all choosing to collectively raise an infant into adulthood. We can't be mad at what that infant turns into. Just like as a parent, you kind of have to look at your kid and be like, well, a lot of what they've become is because of the way I chose to parent. It is the same thing with this technology and the potential in this is massive. So when you look at chat GPT, GPT is essentially the AI brain. So there's one AI brain for the most part that's feeding all these different apps. The reason why chat GPT gets talked about so much is chat GPT is the app that was created by um, the company that founded GPT, the brain. So they have their one singular app. Now, every other AI app is feeding into this same brain. So every time we're using it, we're training the infant, which is fine. Right now it's fun. It's light. What I loved was when I think Michael's using it in a really interesting way when, when he said, you know, I'm using it and I'm using it to write, which is what most people use it for. But what Michael said that really stood out to me was I'm learning, like I'm seeing the gaps that it filled for me. And then I can take that knowledge. Like he's not just using it as a cheater hack. That was not my impression of what he explained. He's using it to build and grow himself. And I was like, damn, I don't think I've ever heard anyone explain it that way before. That was very impressive to me. Because because I think most people are just like, write my captions, good enough, cool. And then they move on with it. And you are leaning into that thing as a crutch. It's not helping you actually at all. A couple concerns with it. One, they did come out, I think it was last week or the week before, and they said that anything that's created with an AI content generator, the, the, the user 
that they do not own that intellectual property. So there is a major intellectual property concern with this. Anyone can steal your captions. Anyone can steal your bio. Anyone can steal your press release. That is there. They can do that if they want to. You didn't create it. GPT created it. They own it and they don't care if people copy it. They're cool yeah. with it. It's better for them. The other thing is that um, as we go in and we continue using this and we continue saying like, oh, you didn't get that right. Do this next time. Let's change this. You're training the infant. So what we just have to know is like, as AI right now, it, it is not smarter than a human. One day it could be. And so like, are we okay losing bios, press releases, captions, um, video scripts, movies? Are we okay losing everything to the computers? It's just something to cons consider and really think about. I think chat GPT right now is a really fun, cool tool. It is at its infancy. Um, I don't think there's a lot of harm that can be done with it specifically. I'm choosing not to use it because I'm not willing to share like my insights and like the things I research. I'm not willing to feed that into the brain yet. I want to keep that in my own brain. And the way I, I see people using chat GPT, I have my own copywriter on staff that's on an NDA. So anything I share with her is our IP. Nobody can take it. It's mine. And I'm not willing to give up that level of control yet. So I know I've been a slow adopter, but for me, I'm like, I, as you know, just a couple of weeks ago, they announced this is not your intellectual property. It's like, I just want to see how things roll out a little bit more before I'm willing to put it all on the line. And so I, I'm definitely taking a more cautious approach to it. I think it's cool. I don't think the technology is going anywhere. I think at some point I'm going to have to hop on the train. I'm actually a slower adopter and I just wait to see how the wrinkles iron out before I jump in. So I'm just, I'm still treading a little lightly is where I stand. I love it. It it, it sounds like to me, Britt, that um that that what you're saying about Chat GPT is like when Facebook, when all we posted was like food pictures, right? Like yes. Now we've kind of seen, and we've kind of seen how how both like a couple of years ago how ugly Facebook was, and I think I think the Facebook, I don't know if it's. I don't know if people just aren't interested anymore or I'm just not seeing it anymore, but, but it seems like the politics and all that gross stuff is kind of like down or, or, or away from it. Um, some, um, and then same with Instagram, like a couple of years ago, it was at least it, within the industry, it was a bunch of hair pictures. Right. And that was kind right. of fun and beautiful. And then, and now we've kind of, you know, Instagram to me has gotten a little bit um, um, uglier um, in, in that sense. Um, I think that, I think that it's not quite as bad as Facebook was, but, um, but it's still like, it, I, I do not use Instagram anymore for leisure. I use TikTok for leisure, right? Yeah. So, now TikTok's a whole nother thing, and I'm sure, I, 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 I'm, I'm sure we'll can get, we can get into that in a little bit as, as well. Um, uh, Michael uh, or Brett, do you have anything to add um, into the Chat GPT question? Yeah. Well, we could spend the our entire just conversation just on the, it's just so massive but i i like how brit paraphrased i i i go there for learn uh, as a learner looking to learn some things that either complement uh, that i'm curious about and i'll, I'll give you a, a one minute hypothetical uh as brit does i i coach a lot of coaches and and one of the big topics today is Okay, if I know when I'm a performance coach and all of the goals and KPIs, but there's time times I need to be a life coach, right? Because someone's like their fear is getting in the way. So I wanted to understand the commonalities and the differences between the two and what it looks like when you integrate. Like I was really curious about that. And I spent probably an hour geeking out with uh, chat about that. And when I left, an hour later, it was 
okay, whatever I would have said about that, and I have said a lot about it since then, really had more traction. So that's a, an example of how it serves me. It's funny because I, I, I kind of leaned with, with Brent a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more cautious. I, I haven't dove deep into it because I'm a little, little nervous about it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's funny because both points are very valid. Well, I think, I think, I think the world needs like Michael and I, like the early adopters, and then we need the ones that are going to kind of wait. But, you know, I just, I, I worry, and I'll be, and, and, and Brent, I'm going to be honest with you. Like when I see some of your posts and stuff, what, what I get a little concerned about is that I think that this is the next wave. I think this is the next big wave. And I think that I, I, I just don't want anyone to get left behind. You know, like, like, like if, if you did, if you didn't jump onto Instagram and early on, or if you didn't jump into these spaces, like, like, and if, and again, if it's like kind of a learning robot, like, are you going to have to kind of play catch up? You know, like if, if chat GPT is the thing moving forward and we're teaching it, how it sees me as an individual and, 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 and work within me, is it just going to slow down the, the, the progress of, of other people that are, that are later adopters? I am obsessed that you said that because I totally agree. And that has to be the, that's my fear too, of like, am I going to be too slow to jump on that? I'm going to be left behind. One of the things I think we all do myself included is we look at what happened historically and we say like, well, I don't want that happen again. So I'm going to do X, Y, or Z y'all Instagram is not coming back around. And so like, when we look at somebody like Guy Tang who hopped on YouTube and Instagram, when it was the infant and he blew the heck up. It's like, man, that worked for him. Is chat GPT going to be that next thing? We don't know. We have no idea. It's like Lemonade, the new app that everyone's talking about. Is that the new big thing? We don't know. Clubhouse, was that the new big thing? Turned out it wasn't. It's like all these things are gambles. And, and you know, you might hit the jackpot. Honestly, Corey, like we, and we don't know. Um, I think that for me, I just, I want to be certain I'm using the tool for good, not evil. And, and to what you were saying, like, um, Am I going to be left behind? I feel like yes. And I might be in a little bit of a different position, but I feel like my ability to be innovative and think forward is part of my X factor. And as soon as I'm teaching chat GPT, my innovation and thinking forward, now it doesn't make me special. It makes me basic. And I have just leveled the field and everyone is thinking the same way as I am. I'm not willing to level the field that way just yet. Now, here's the thing that I agree with is when you said, I think it's the wave of the future. I think AI is the wave of the future. Chat GPT is like one little segment of it. And I think AI is going to impact our industry in a huge and beautiful way. I don't even think we're going to be writing captions in two years. So like have some fun with it now, like get in the mix, use it for that. I'm cool with it. I just, I think it's so much bigger than we can even imagine. And um, it'll be interesting to see how it kind of all unfolds. But, uh, but to what you all were saying too, I've, I think I've taken a pretty public stance of like, I'm, I'm a little cautious. I have so much respect for everybody who dives in though, because I'm learning from y'all. And I think, I think you got to go with your gut on it big time. So what Britt's saying is that uh, is chat GPT is like a crack dealer. Like it's giving you just a little <laughs> bit for, for like a whole life of like uh, of abuse. Right. Maybe, maybe. But, but I think, but I think that that's a good point, right? Because I never, we never had the ability to play in the AI space until now. Nope. Right. right. And, and, and like, this is the first time that we can like, we can, we have a, we have a relationship with AI. Right. And, 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 and I think that that's a great point for good or for bad. Like who knows where, where it lays out. It can make us smarter than what we are. 
Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. You know, they don't even like, you know, once, once, once a quantum computers come about in a couple of years then the whole world's (laughs) going to blow up again, because that is just wild things to start thinking about. But, uh, but let's see, should we get more specific about what's happening inside the industry and, uh, and and we'll leave the world, the world. Here's another question. All right. And, and, and I th- I'm really curious on your your guys' take because I mean this is a uh, a topic for discussion and uh, and it's being talked about. So uh, I I'm curious on, on your guys' thoughts about this. What's the solution if you want to shift away from pre-booking and is pre-booking still a good idea? Brent, that's your turn. You go first. All right, Brent, you start this one off. I think Michael stepped out of that one. I had a feeling this would happen. Okay, I actually love this question, and I love the chance to kind of dig in a little bit here. Um, so I, I have definitely, over the last few years, kind of shifted my thoughts on pre-booking, not by choice, actually, but just in observing consumer behavior. So when I joined the industry in 2007, it was pre-book or die, but that was legit. Like you, that was really how we did things. Like you had to pre-book all of your guests. That is how you retained. That's how you guaranteed your income. Like that was the system that worked without a doubt. Pre-booking still does work. I think that it just doesn't work for everybody. Kind of like we started this episode with of like, but what if there's six ways to do things right? I think pre-booking is, is great until you get to a place where you're booked out about three weeks. For me, that's when I start to get a little concerned that you could be setting yourself up to actually lose money, which feels a little weird. And I I remember looking at the books and being like, damn, so-and-so's booked out 16 weeks, we're golden. I know that mindset of because it feels like guaranteed income. A, it's not a guarantee, but psychologically, it feels like one. Life still happens. People get sick. You get sick. Anything could happen. But it, psychologically, it feels great because you feel like I don't have to hustle to make, make ends meet for the next four months. I'm good. I totally get it. When you start getting booked out three weeks or more, you actually can potentially lose money. Um, what has happened in consumer behavior is, A, people are not willing to wait as long to get into salons as they were before. Do you remember the days when it was like, I had to wait to get six months to get in to see you know, Tony and Corey or whatever, and people were like proud. They wore it as a badge of honor. Very few people are willing to wait six months now. They're going to move on to the next thing. And you know what changed that for us? Social media and websites. The internet didn't used to exist. It was very difficult to find a good stylist. So when you did, you were loyal, you were in it, you were pre-booked, you were locking in your spot. It's just changed. The system has changed. Clients aren't willing to wait. And what I have found is that when I'm able to coach established stylists, not green, green stylists, established stylists to consider doing rolling booking or not pre-booking every guest, they are able to make more money. They're able to see more new clients. They're able to get price increases faster. They're able to serve all of their clients in a more timely timeline. Guess what? They're able to call in sick and not have to be booked out for 16 weeks. So they've got to come in and work the next four Sundays to cover for the person that they missed because they called out sick. They're able to go to a bridal shower that's coming up in six weeks, whereas before they would have been booked out for that. It, it can create a balance of more income and more freedom and flexibility. I do think that balance of freedom and flexibility is earned. Um, I don't think it's something that my daughter, Emily, who graduates school in two weeks is going to be able to partake in for several years. But I think that we just have to look at pre-booking as a tool, but not the end-all be-all for retention and guaranteed income. I think there's you know, six ways to cut a cake. And I think it's just something to, to look at in your business and say, is this working for me? Michael? So I'm dying to hear what Michael has to say. <laughs> 
No, well, there's you you said something that kind of underscores a couple of points that whenever pre-booking was the eleventh commandment, whether it was it oh seven oh ten, who knows? Who cares? But I I know that that era was pre everything, you know, pre mobile. Never mind pre social, and uh, whatever social was heck two years ago. Never mind seven or eight. You know, it, it's way different and it continues to move. Uh, social, at least as I watch hairdressers use it, it is the rainmaker to the nth. So that if I, if they need money, if for whatever reasons, and whenever I see, a, you know, what is it, 12th hour opening, blah, 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 and I'm following somebody, I'm the first to DM them and say, how long did it take you to fill and what, what did it fill with? And, you know, the, the answer all the time is kind of like instantly. Yeah, what, five minutes, three minutes, 10 minutes? Who knows who cares? And the money is equal to or greater than whatever went away. Uh, I, I can't forget that because that's the wiggle room of wiggle room. So if, if you start, well, you know, my colleagues would say, okay, the, the risks of not rebooking. I would say I, I can't see risks in not rebooking today. I, I mean, if they're, I, I'm not saying they're not there, but I'd have to really, really look and get real, uh, I don't want to say anal, but analytical. Uh, and I'm just watching Jedi's today do things with social where, you know, one move and I've got three new guests that are showing up, I can book one or two and have a thousand dollar day. So to me, this is what's blowing up that conversation big time. And if you're a traditional or an orthodox pre-booker, I mean, I just had somebody today, I had to block them from my page because they were very hostile that I wasn't about what I was about a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, anyway, I'm ranting now, but you see what I'm pointing to. No, I love that. And, and I know everyone's, a lot of you are listening and can't see. I'm having like a visceral reaction as like Michael's talking about, like when people come on a rant talking about, well, you didn't say that five years ago. He's not allowed to change his mind. Like none of us are allowed to like change. Like the world is changing all the time. I'm going to change my perspectives in a couple of years. Like don't hold me to it. Cause in, you know, 2027, I'm going to say something different, but I think that's so unfair to like keep the standard the same. That's ridiculous. Like it's, it's unreasonable. And to what Michael's saying, again, I said this before we start hitting record, Michael is a listener and an observer, which is something that so few people are willing to do today. And so he, he sees one of these rock stars post, Hey, I've got an opening at 1 PM DMs and says, how long did it take you to fill it? 60 minutes or less. He is learning. He is listening. And it's like, if we all as an industry could learn and listen and not assume, we would, oh my gosh, the, the power and potential would be massive. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's like the person being mad that you added layers to a bob. How can you change a one length? It's, it, how could you put texture in that? You know, things evolve. <laughs> we evolve, right? And, and technology, uh, we just, like what we just talked yeah. about, everything evolves. And so, so is our opinions and thoughts and, and processes and, you know, and it's okay. And if you're still pre-booker, Hey, if that's your, your cup of tea, do it. Nobody's stopping you from doing it. 
Right. I think that's a good point. I, I love uh, Brett. Also, I want just to back up to, to one of the first things that you said, and I think this is really, really mega important. And, 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 cause I know that Hunty um, is very much in the, in the school of like, like not pre-booking and, and like to open up his schedule and stuff. But um, even, even the conversation that we, that we had with him is that, is that this might not be for green stylists. This is for like, and, and I'm glad that you put like, I don't know what the word is, but you put a parameter on it saying, if you're at three weeks, start to consider this. If you're not at three weeks booked and maybe you, you never are in your career, then then maybe this isn't the route for it. So I think that's really, really smart to share that. Um, just so like we don't have first year or first month hairdressers saying, well, I'm not going to pre-book because whatever. No, no, no. Please pre-book and please, please keep that money coming in because that's going to create space for you to raise your prices. And, um, but Michael back on that though, like that was a big KPI for a while, like pre-booking. So like, what are we, how are we working around that as far as like when we should, I don't even, do we have that as a question? If not, I'm just going to add it as a question. Like, like if pre-booking isn't part of that KPI anymore, like what, what parameters are we using to say, Hey, it is, I'm going to put this in quotes safe to raise our prices. Yeah, I, what I'm seeing now, and it, it gets me in a lot of trouble with my traditional colleagues, is uh, service dollars, whether it's per hour, per day, per whatever, as that continues to go up and you can see, I mean, today they go, what percent of it, what percent of it is request and what percent of it is, is new today on social? It, it's, all, it's almost all request. So those to me are the two, the dollar per, and I'm assuming that the overwhelming majority of that dollar is there, they want you. After that, and again, this is, you know, what is it? I am HO, in my humble opinion, everything else is up for grabs. So whether we're talking rebook, uh, you know, I'm going to say retail and then I'm going to duck because, you know, the the brands get nervous about that. Uh, that when I and again, I talk to the one percent, the salon owners that are really making decisions: Are you or are you not ready? And what I hear from the best of the best is, I don't. As so long as the productivity or dollar per is there, I won't allow any other KPI to get in the way of that. I think it's good to have to look at. But um, and they continue to get results. So I'm, I'm going to go with them until whatever it is they have been doing stops working. I love that so much. And I agree with Michael wholeheartedly. Like it doesn't mean don't track the pre-booking. That is still a KPI of your business. It still matters. It's still a number to pay attention to. And if somebody isn't hitting their financials, they're not being able to be promoted. Something is off. It is a place to look and say, hey, let's focus on pre-booking for the next 60 days. Let's see if we can play with this KPI and, and get you to make an extra thousand bucks next month. If it works, Awesome. It was a lever you pulled to get a result. If not, okay, we look at something different. It is a factor. It still matters. But I, I think to what you're saying, Michael, too, like when we look at how every business, not just our industry, has shifted in the last five years, do you remember when working virtually was like bonkers? Like less than 5% of people worked virtually. Everybody worked in office. Everybody commuted every day. Flash forward, that's not what the world looks like. And people are asking for flex pay and flex hours and all of these different things. It's the same for our industry too. Like, so long as you're getting a great result, 
does it really matter how you get there? And I think that's the big mindset shifts all of us had to adapt to. Well, I'm going to talk talk about something about you said, does it still matter? Uh, KPIs. Uh, and I know we touched a little bit on it last time we talked, uh, but it and, and Michael, he, he, he mentioned uh, retail. Is retail still important? I, I like retail. We're talking about change and how conversations change. Sorry, Michael, go ahead. But is retail still important? Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm saying yes. And from what I can see for very, very different reasons, I have not seen the, the innovative science. Uh, I've, ne I've never seen products that were able to crack the code like the products I see today that are cracking the code. So in other words, I, you know, I remember forever ago when I was behind the chair attempting to pull off every now and then what people are pulling off on an hourly basis, I would turn the hair into rubber and get into a whole lot of trouble. And today you can put something on the hair before you do anything with it and it you cracked it. It's like, how'd you do that? How, how did you break that rule? And so for that reason, I'm saying is re retail, if you're not having the conversation with a client to take home and continue to use what allowed you to crack the code, you, 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 who knows, you might be, we'll have to, we'll have to plug into chat GPT. Can you get sued for malpractice? <laughs> because I mean, it's, so I would say, I'm saying, yes, it's vital. But I, there's a new answer to that question. I like retail. Um, I, I, I think it's, but to what you're saying, like things have really changed. And so there's an evolution that's got to happen too. Um, Michael, I'd be curious to see if you, or curious to hear if you see this, but when I look at high-performing stylists and salon owners, not always, but a good chunk do have some kind of retail offering, whether it be through an online third party, whether it be in the salon or the studio suite, whatever, there's some kind of component. I might've learned this from you back in the day, but that retail doesn't necessarily equal revenue. It equals retention, it equals mm. referrals, it equals buy-in. And so for me, like that's, the only way I've ever seen retail is like, this is a tool that we can use to offer a better result to our clients, to get them to buy into us more. What I think that was lost, and I don't know where, but I think that the art of like looking at retail, not as something to sell, but like as a tool to help your clients, I think we lost that along the way. And I think that often the verbiage is like, well, we got a new shampoo in, uh, definitely helps with breakage. Did you want to take a look at that today? That's a terrible sales pitch. And I, I think rather than like actually looking at like, how do we help our guests? Like, what are the things that I can genuinely offer and talk, like, talk about, like, talk, like, talk, like, as if we were sitting, if we were in person together, which we've got to do at some point. And I was trying to sell you on my favorite, you know, kind of coffee I like to drink in the morning. If I brought the coffee with me and we were sitting there and I was telling y'all why I think it's so amazing and why I think you'd all like it too, you'd all say, great, let's go ahead and order some for ourselves. But I think that when we try and just do this awkward pitch where it doesn't come from a genuine place, yeah, retail is going to feel like a, a loss, like a, um, a liability, not an asset, but it can be a really great tool in the arsenal. But is that up to a salon owner to teach their stylist? how to promote the tool versus to putting the pressure on them for sales? 
Yes. I mean, this to me, oh, Michael, we got to get into this. One of the things that I'm really big on is the idea that those who open salons really should go into it with the mindset of being leaders, not owners, which is, I think, another skill set that I would love to see all of us mentor these owners on today is like, stylists today really need a leader, like a, like a mentor, like somebody who can guide them, pour into them, not boss them, not micromanage them, but like, we all need guidance. So whether it be a third party educator who comes in and provides those insights or a really great owner who choose to lead and pour into their people, what I've noticed is most stylists don't want, hi, show up at 4 p.m. on Thursday. We're going to do a retail sales class. No one's mm -hmm. coming. Everybody mm -hmm. hates it. That sounds horrible. But like truly saying, you know, giving valuable skills and showing the potential of retail, I think that is missing. Yeah, my, my take is, probably the last, I don't know, 10, 15 interviews on people that are doing not only a great job on the service end, but the retail end. And they'll, they'll give me a taste of the conversation. In other words, what they're engaging the client is and whatever it, the experience that I have, as I listen to them, it's almost like I'm now engage, engaged in the conversation. I don't, I don't, the, whatever experience I get, it's not a pitch. The nope. closest I can come to it is, it sounds like an advanced product knowledge class for your client. And it's like, you know, somebody at face value, go, ooh, ooh that, that would be boring. And it's like, no, you, you have to sit in on, I was on the receiving end of that conversation and the experience that I had, I was fascinated. I was in awe and I had a, a major appreciation for why it was essential for me to get on whatever they were talking about because it was going to implicate my experience with what I was paying somebody $500 to create on a daily basis. <clears throat> so again, it's a, it, I think the conversation creates one more interesting inspiring experience that that uh makes the client feel like you're every bit worth the premium prices that you're charging for the services that you're providing mm. i agree totally agree i, I think i think that's really good um I, I want to kind of like we don't have a question written down and i hope that it don't take us way out there but i like to do that sometimes too um i i and i don't know necessarily if i would have been, if i wasn't a sweet owner if i would be like um attuned to it early but but you know going back to retail and going back to like even licensing now i kind of feel like i kind of feel like the industry is 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 making villain out of salon suites and what i mean by that is that is that is that the reason that the industry isn't selling retail anymore is because of salon owners. And, and I just saw something the other day and, and the setup is that, that if you look at our national average now for hairdressing on some federal, whatever, 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 it's like our, our natural, our national average is like $17,000 a year. Don't quote me on the numbers, but whatever that is. And again, the response to that was that's because suite owners are not um, claiming their income. 
So I kind of I feel a little bit like a punching bag, and 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 I'm trying to remove my feelings out of it and go, is there some legitimacy here? Is there not some legitimacy here? Oh, back to the licensing thing. So what it's saying is that the federal government says that you know we're making seventeen thousand. So the federal government no longer wants to support hair schools if 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 there's not like a taxable income that's coming back to back to the support that uh, the, the support that the states that the federal government gives to um in grants and stuff to to this. This is this is my like really stupid understanding of it, but but can we dive into that a little bit? I love this. I'm obsessed with this question. So I know a little bit of a backstory about what you're talking about, just to continue giving context. I actually think you nailed it. So if you don't know my whole story, I took over salon leadership for a salon owner who opened a beauty school. And so I watched him go through the trials and tribulations of trying to get um scholarship money for students and all these kind of things and it is very tied into the fact that our industry is so low income producing and has been forever that the interest in supporting our industry from the federal government from most agencies at large is dismal because we look like this garbage industry to be totally candid like we look so we are the second lowest income producing industry in the united states second lowest think of all the industries there are we're second from the bottom but that's not true. It's not an accurate portrayal. We say it that way. When you actually like get in, get in there and you start talking to people, I will say like most stylists are really struggling super hard. Now, some by choice, like some stylists, if you want to make 17 grand a year and you're stoked on it, I'm so happy for you. Like there's people who are also working one day a week, making 20 grand a year. I'm not mad at it. That's great. And so those kind of things skew our numbers too of like, this is an industry built on flexibility. There doesn't have to be shame around making 17 grand a year. If the lifestyle is there, we're square. Like I'm cool with that. Um, when when people's, I, I have seen that studio suite hate also, and I do not agree with it. I actually have an ad running right now that talks about how I think it's really unfortunate and unfair that there's this finger pointing going to suites of like, they're killing the industry, they're killing community, they're taking things away from salon owners. I don't think it's possible to take anything away from a salon owner. I just simply think it's an additional way to work. Um, I don't think suites should be villainized. I, get the, I think it's a wonderful opportunity, almost like a hybrid of like, some people should always be employees. Not everybody's meant to run a business. Some people want to run their own business but don't want to lead a team of people here's option c and i think it's beautiful and it fits i i have a hard time understanding how it hurts the industry and to say that studio suite owners are the only ones hiding money or that it's because they're categorized a different way that seems like the easy out to me i don't even understand the logic behind that i don't get it is that number based off of like how many licenses and then how much taxes are being or is it taxes overall as a whole being being uh claimed i i, I don't i don't really know but i do know that um our dear friends the risers at um at yeah. of the temple school i yeah. know i know that at least statewide that they get evaluated like every five years yep. to see how many how many of those people are still in the industry so i don't know and, and because we do have i mean there's no doubt about it that we have a that we have a huge turnover in the in the industry as a trade goes um I don't know if that number factors into that. I don't know. Again, like you said, if it's if it's if it's if it's all the income that's taxable and then divide it by by the licenses out there. I don't know how it works. Um, I mean, that would kind of make sense to me because I don't. And listen, I let me be super clear. Like, 
like the place that we live is one of the highest socioeconomic uh, areas in the entire country. So certainly the people that I can touch and the people that we see every day, they're making, they're making enough of a living to take care of their families. Um, I don't know. And I've been outside the beltway. So I understand that there's also life out, outside the beltway as far as, as far as income opportunities. Um, but, but again, I, I just, I'm not seeing it firsthand. Um, you know, I, I, but, but again, I also know that, that the people that are 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 the are the are the, the upper echelon of the, of the industry, and I don't mean that in any other way other than um, bringing in money. Michael, what's your perspective of it? And and you know, kind of the setup is is that um, I have a buddy. Never mind. Go ahead. I don't want to set you up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, as I'm listening, first of all, there's that that conversation is getting louder and louder and louder. And, and, and it's not, uh, it, it's, a, it's a very, very uh, essential conversation. One of the, and what came up as I was listening is, um, it all falls under the gainful employment. I mean, that's kind of like the mother of them all as to, you know, why school owners are very nervous about this. And there's a, there's a uh, managed, salon management consulting company that it has, is putting a lot of uh, energy, money, and it, there's a whole lot of people that are interested in the conversation where they are questioning and arguing with the data. Where, wherever the, the, the genesis of the data that says it's 17 grand a year, they're arguing with it and they're bringing uh, more data to the table to uh, uh, prove, bring enough evidence to say that no, that's that's that it, if if it's the truth, it's not the whole truth, and uh, more will be revealed there. But it's been interesting to not only watch the evolution of that research, but how much attention mm. that it's getting. Uh, to the other point, to the sweet salon sweet point, I am, uh, and it gets me in a whole lot of trouble. I'm fascinated by that community. I am just, I just, I, I, I've been to sweet environments because I wanted to, I, I wanted to experience a salon experience from a suite uh, just as a consumer. Uh, and I loved it because of the intimacy. It, it, you know, the closest I can come to it is be like getting my Getting services done when I was in a salon spa, but I wasn't in the salon in to get the hair services done. I was in the spa where there, there was wiggle room and it was quiet. And if I didn't want to talk and if I wanted to be sleep while I was, it was wonderful. And I didn't have to stand in line and, and everything was like automatic. It was digital. So there was no, and, and I'm saying that at the end of the day, uh, if it's compelling to the consumer, it, it really, well, uh, you know, uh, and the the retailer uh, is going to follow that that lead. Um, the the other is when I look at innovation, at least digital innovation, a lot of it is being incubated in the suites. So when I look at the, you know, what is it, the the deskless front desk, and you know, you hear all those other words along with some other things, and they go, where's the genesis of that? And it it looks like to me it's it's the way the sweet model has been and now the the you know the traditional commission salon model is starting to uh adapt it so that's my take 
Um, I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with your take. That was so good. I think you hit on some really key points when you said, like, look at how much is growing out of salon suites. It's like we have to ask ourselves, is it really the salon suites to blame or are we just looking? Are they just the threat? Like, are they a little more innovative? And so we're looking for a place to point fingers rather than choosing to up level overall. That was a really interesting perspective that you made. And I wouldn't have thought of that. And I think it's really genius. Like, are we just coming for the next big thing and trying to tear them down so we ourselves don't have to innovate and not you know you or i but like salons i don't know but it's an interesting perspective because they are so innovative the other thing you touched on that i think is important to understand is we think of people who are like maybe neurodivergent or i pulled her up there's um, a stylist i follow her name is jelly robinson and she only does hair mostly does hair of those on the autism spectrum and so she wants to work with them in a controlled environment like that's a client that maybe wouldn't feel comfortable even being in a big salon space and she gets them in this small private place where she's able to just focus on them and they're super comfortable it's like man that's an opportunity that probably wouldn't even have existed before studio suites were there it's like we got to look at we have to look at the potential of this and i think there is some one more point i want to make and then i'll let it go as the woman in the room i think we also have to keep in mind too that over 90 percent of our industry is female at this age and stage I'll, I'll, not all, certainly not me. So I, I don't want to generalize, but not all, but a lot of women are juggling kids at home. And that primarily falls to the woman, not in my family. I'm non-traditional, but I understand that it does normally. So some women can't work five days a week. So again, working one or two days a week in a female dominated industry, making 17 grand is kind of badass. And I think I, I you know, we're not going to change the federal government, but to look at like our industry is like not worthy when like you think of the opportunities that some people have to make decent money working just in the hours they have available, like that's such a good thing. And I just think it's such a bummer that it's not seen from that perspective at all. I that that's a, that's an awesome point, Britt. Um, and and like we could do an entire podcast, and I think Tony and I agree on this, and I'm sure Michael does too. It it's really a shame that there's so much men representation when, like like you said, like 10 percent of the industry is men. You know, it's like, but almost every product line named after a person is is a dude's name, which doesn't which kind of blows me away. Which a uh, uh, shameless plug. I want to I want to plug our friend Ivy Shears, who uh, she has the only she has the only female owned shear company in the world, which uh. So, you know, bravo to Ivy Shear. So congratulations to that. Um, I'm going to get on my soapbox for just a second here a little bit. Um, I think a lot of the pressure from the sweet stuff, honestly, is coming from because I don't think there's no way that I know the retail that we bring into our salon suite and I know the retail to the to the L'Oreal backed salon across the street that they're buying a lot more retail. So I I, the cynic in me kind of thinks that that the conversation is being had at the L'Oreal's at these big product companies, because what I learned during COVID is that from 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 a big Mike, I'm going to get you in trouble. But from, from the um, from the from the retail space or from the manufacturing space that we the hairdressers are the end users. They don't really care if we sell it to our clients or not, as long as we're buying our product. So I think that there is some truth as far as like, we are not buying as much product. And as long as there's more sweets and there, less product is being, is being, is being put into the market space and to the marketplace. And, and I think that I, I, again, the cynic in me says that, that these conversations are happening at the top of the industry and saying, Hey, we're not selling enough retails and it, damn it. It's those sweet people's fault. 
I don't think that's the cynic in you. I think you're brilliant. You just gave me a huge aha moment. Like, let's think back to even a decade ago when the big distributors, the big hair care brands, they ran this S. Like, they ran the entire industry. There was no independent education. You had to have, if you want to have a color line, you got to bring retail in. Like, they set all the rules. And we just had to follow because there was no plan B. It's like, do what they say or you're out on the streets. And the tables have turned. I think that's a very interesting perspective. Ooh. I think Michael's going to stay out of this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's all right. I, 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 yeah, I'm no, I'm no longer, uh, you know, powered by a brand or L'Oreal. So I don't, I, I, I'm not worried about uh, that issue. But I see what you're pointing to. I, I, there's, there's another part of this that I think is fascinating. I'm going to attempt to peek around the corner to see what I think is coming our way. And I hope I'm not hallucinating. I don't think I am. I would say the day is coming where you, you see that small community of people that rent suites and use them to incubate a salon and then move the salon to a, like a box. I, I see, and I see that building, but I, I also see the day coming where once the salon is built in the suite, the owner decides to stay in the suite. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. Because I mean, I'm, I'm following owners that leave the suite once it's built to, you know, rent the box. And there, there's a, probably a six to nine month aftershock that says, the owner says, in retrospect, I wish I wouldn't have left. Why? Because when stuff used to go wrong, I would just tell the concierge, my, you know, I got a leak in my pipe, I've got this, and it got handled. Now, I, I, you know, I got to find, okay, where's the plumber? And where's the, and how about the landlord? And so now they get over it because they have to. I mean, once you've signed five years, you got to figure this out. But I think as the consciousness becomes bigger, I see the day coming where you're going to see salons that are going to stay put inside of a sweet environment and whatever the premium they're paying for the rent, it doesn't matter. It, it, there's going to be a value in convenience. I mean, that, that's spot on. We know somebody that, uh, who did that. They, they, they started out one chair, then they uh, took over the, the, the stations next to them, opened up the wall and started building a, a salon inside of a studio suite. And therefore uh, it's, it's the suites issues that and, and you're right. All right, before I change the subject, I'm going to uh, nail uh, a comment that Cor uh, Corey said earlier about uh, saying that people in the suites don't pay their taxes or, or something to that effect. Those people that are like that, they're not paying their taxes when they're in a salon commission. They're pocketing the money. So that those people are going to be those people no matter where they are. Right. You know what I mean? So you can you can say where they are, uh, try to call them out in the suites, but they're they're going to be them no matter where they are. All right. right. It's it's naive for us to think that tax evasion doesn't happen everywhere. Like that's silly. And yeah. just just within our industry, right? Right. Right. <laughs> All right. All right. We're going to change it. Um, since we're talking about commission and and suites, uh, should prices stay the same when you go from a commission salon to a studio suite? Can I put in two cents and then while they think about it? Yes. Is I and if you're going from a commission salon to a suite, as scary as that is. I highly recommend that you raise your prices um, and, and you go in, you like on day one, you raise your prices because 
The people that are going to come are going to come anyways. And if you believe in the 80-20 rule, you're going to have you're going to have that 20% of space that you need to make up anyways, but it also gives the opportunity for when new people come in. Also, that within that 80%, you're going to have a very high, we'll go with the same 80-20 rule. So within that 80-20 rule and then 80-20 of that, um, also people are there to support your business. And, and if you need to raise your price, it's actually a perfect time as far as I'm concerned to raise your price. I did not do it. And, and 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 there's a little regret as to why I didn't do it. Um, you know, I was we my split wasn't exactly awesome and cool, so I felt like I had to compete next door um, with the salon. So I, I felt pressure that I couldn't do it, um, which ultimately they probably won in that situation. Uh, but I, I kind of wish that I did. I kind of wish that I went like you know. He, and let me back up too, because I would love to give your input too, because I've never owned a business before. But my justification was that if my salon owner was was was, and I'll use a hundred dollars. If my salon owner was charging a hundred dollars, I don't have to split it with the house. I don't have to split it with. The, I don't have to pay for assistance. I don't have to pay for all the all the all the retail, all the yada 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 yada. I thought that that hundred dollars would serve me right too. I wish I had raised it. I wish it was kind of a big raise, at least like a a ten or twenty percent. There, I set the I set the stage. <laughs> I have something to say, but I have a question back to you first. Yeah, yeah, okay. Do you feel like when you moved into the suite, it was more expensive than you anticipated? Or were you like, oh, I had this budgeted out right on the money? Way more expensive than I, than, than, than I anticipated. Because, because the lie was that you get to keep all the money. And the lie was that, 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 that I think that, listen, at the end of the day, I think that I'm making, and I had a pretty big commission cut. Like I, I was getting 60% at the salon that I went to. Um, and, and let me be clear, I didn't leave because of money. That, that wasn't why I left. However, um, however, uh, I, I'm probably making, I don't know, like four to 5% more, you know, but even that four to 5%, and we've talked about this on the podcast a million times, and I know Tony and I agree with this, you earn that 5%. You're there earlier, you're there later, you're, you're, you have the meetings quarterly or more with your accountant, you have it with your attorney, like, like you earn that four or 5% and at the end of the, well, I mean, even with that, I, I, that four or 5% now is, is starting to calculate in my head, maybe I'm not making that four or 5%, four or 5% more. However, what do I know? I know we don't have a podcast. What do I know? I know that I'm not sitting here with Britt and Michael and Tony and, and we're discussing the woes of the industry or, or the, the celebrations of the industry. Like, like I know that. So I know that there's freedom in that. I know that, that when I want to mark off to your point, a couple minutes ago, like when I want to mark off, I just mark off. Like I don't have a boss to, and, 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 and many salons have reached out to me about coming back. And like, and even if the money makes sense, when I start to do the, the calculations of the freedom, um, and, and you know, the one person that reached out to like, well, you can have the, all the days off that you want. I go, yeah, now, but what happens six months, a year from now when your staff's giving you hell, because I'm off, you know, 18 Saturdays during the year, you know, and then, and then when you pull that back, where am I, you know, now, now we're fighting and now I'm getting ready to leave again. I think that, thank you for, thank you for being so transparent and honest about that. I think it's so true. And, and I don't, I don't like the idea. I hate the narrative that the salon owners stealing money from stylists or the salon owners keeping all the money or the salon owners are villains. I don't, I don't buy into that. I think less than 1%, there's bad people everywhere. I think it represents less than 1% of salon owners. Most are good people trying their best, trying to get by. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. And to what you're saying, you left for the right reasons. You left for the lifestyle. And that is so respectable and commendable. And anybody who's leaving for a lifestyle that makes them happy, 
cheers to you. Like that's the right decision and, and nobody should shame a person for doing that. You did it for the right reasons and all of your reasons are for staying are right too. When, when somebody is saying I'm leaving a booth rental salon or a commission salon or, or my home or whatever to go into a studio suite, I tend to coach from the place of psychological safety. So when you say raise your prices, the logic in me is like, heck yeah, you need to, because your cost of doing business is going to be more expensive than you anticipate, period, end of story. I've yet to meet somebody who made that leap who was like, oh yeah, it was great. Like it is a little shocking. What I've noticed is when I've coached a few people through this transition, when I say like, do, do a bump and make the move, they panic. And that fear, like I know that fear carries a weight too. So I don't disagree with Corey's advice. I actually think you're right. But if that makes you nervous, one of the things I generally coach to is keep your prices the same, make your guest experience stellar within the first 12 weeks, you're going to do an increase by then you'll have seen the 80% who's going to follow you. You'll feel really good about it. They'll fall in love with your space and you can do the increase from a place of confidence. It's truly mindset and psychology. Like there's, there's no other reason for doing it. So I think that we can both, like there could be two rights to this, but I do think a price increase is necessary, either immediate or very shortly after to safe proof yourself. Yeah. Before we get Michael's input, I'm going to go back to what he was saying. So basically, I mean, what you're doing is that you're trading. So when you're in a, for me, when you're in a commission salon, I go do my clients, I can go home and not worry about it. Right. Yep. Might be forced to on a schedule. This, I have to abide by the schedule. When you're in a suite, you can create your own schedule, but you got more work to do. You're not going there just doing your clients and leaving. You have more work to do. So right. it's, it's basically, you know, it's just, flipping your responsibilities and uh it's just which works best for you totally agreed this uh conversation we're having is i, I am i call them b omg bfos oh my god blinding flashes of the obvious by listening to first of all Britt, i thought your question to uh corey was when he said something about I'm going to leave. And then you said, so were you making more or less the same? Or no, you said, is it more expensive, less expensive, or what you thought it was? And 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 Corey went, it was more expensive. And and I just wanted to ask you a follow-up, Corey. If you had to take a, a swag on how much more in percent, are we talking 5% more than you thought, 10, 15? If you had to guess, what would that number be? Um you know what it, it, it's hard to answer and only because again i think that i literally moved across the street and 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 the one true thing in life i don't care how you slice it is the 80 20 and and i can go by what my numbers were so like i 80 percent of my clientele came and, and 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 i can't it was an ugly leave too right so 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 with that it's really hard for me to like um to to have that number for you michael only because only because one, I wasn't that great when I left. I'm still not that great at business and all that, and, and all of that. You know, um, my goals are, you know, to take care of my fat. I, I, anyways, I don't want to go down that route. All right. Well, listen. I, so, I, I want to. I don't want to totally. I don't know the number, but 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 I know that I know that we got a little tighter at home. How's that? Okay. Yeah. But the biggie was, I am making more than I was making as a commission, and I'm paraphrasing. However. I am working for whatever that more is. It's not a, I'm just sticking the difference in my pocket 
you're going, no, that's not, that's not it. So that's the second thing I got. The other was um, the profound and intrinsic value we all put on our freedom, on our autonomy. You, and it, you can't, it, that's not a linear thing. It's be, you know, not asking permission and having to go through what we all go through when we have to ask for wiggle room when we're an employee. It's just not a question of asking and getting an answer. We all, there's always, I don't wanna call it drama. There's always emotion involved in it. And when you're on your own, you make, you make the decision and you live with the outcome and you know you pivot if you, if you were if there was an error in your answer you'll you'll figure out a way to make up for it so um that's my take for and i'm gonna uh for me i just cut hair right so i when i moved to the suite 10 years ago i knew exactly what my everything for me was going to be i knew how much the products were going to cost me I didn't have all these other chemical costs. So I knew exactly what my cost was going to be. And it was. I think that's a really interesting perspective is so often we hear, like, even for me, I heard that little snip of information. And in my mind, I made a generalization, like, see, it's always more expensive. But then you came in, Tony, and you're like, but not really, because it changes with every business model. And I think that's so good for all of us to remember of like, don't let somebody else's story be your full opinion of anything because there's always those different perspectives and different scenarios i love that if you're just a haircutter I, I, I and again i'm going to make that general broad statement Britt. if you're just a haircutter you should be in a suite because you you, I mean, you because you only have one outgoing number and that's your rent you know, as he was talking about that i was like you're brilliant like that was the first thing that came to mind i was like wow you're brilliant yeah your overhead it just it's flat you know exactly what it's going to be and his percentage is probably way up from when he worked in the salon. Uh, a lot. I think the haircutting model, it, it would be a candidate for one of the best kept secrets in the beauty industry from a profitability standpoint, because it's there's 15 to 20% less cost if your primary service is that you're cutting hair. I mean, that's frankly why Great Clips is the single biggest, you know, monster on the planet because they absolutely refuse to do anything except cut hair. And so when you look at, you know, the, today the back bar dispensary cost is in around 15 to 20%. That's the, going right down to the bottom. At the end of the day though, even though it, it, that, that's true, I'm doing 12 to 15 haircuts a day. He's doing you know, maybe four or five colors, but we're working the same amount of time by the end of the week, even though maybe our numbers might be the same or whatever, I'm crushed because I got to work so much harder. And, uh, but that's, you know, but again, that's, that's the price trade-off. Yeah. I, I think the last 10 minutes, that's been the whole conversation, right? Michael It's like, what, what are your trade-offs? You know, what are right. your trade-offs from being in a commission salon to going to a suite, vice versa, back and forth and, and, and around in circles. I love it. I do too. Um, dude, where are we at? Where are we at, Tone? That was A. Four A. You're four A. Oh, uh, well, we well, we we had a four B, but we killed that with the pricing. Yeah. Right. So we were gonna like we we're gonna make that guy uh that guy go. Um 
Okay, here's one that 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 honestly I'm not super familiar with. However, I'd love to attack it. Is that um, how do you guys feel about like new client booking fees or even booking fees in general? I guess I'll throw it to you first, Britt. Michael looks a little like, what are you talking about? Uh -huh. I mean, you guys can see me on video. I'm kind of like shifting back and forth a little bit. Um, I get it. It's not something I coach to. I'll just start by saying that it's not something I'm like, yeah, everybody charge new client booking fees. I think it's one of those things again, where like some people can get to a place in business where it starts to make sense. One of the things that I, I always try to keep in mind is coaching legally and above board. There's um, some stuff in our industry where like, if we were to charge a non-refundable deposit, but no service is rendered because somebody doesn't come in. If somebody calls their credit card company and is like, hey, I put down this $125 deposit at a salon. I never went in to get services. The credit card company is going to side with them. I mean, immediately, because if there's no service rendered, regardless of your booking policy, we are a service-based industry, the way that we're classified by the federal government. And so it starts to get really dicey. So can you put booking fees and non-refundable deposits in place? You can do whatever you want. Is it going to stick? Is it going to help you? I've heard some people say both, both ways. And listen, maybe for some of you, you're like, I want to have a booking fee. It's applied toward the appointment. I totally understand the model. And you're like, if 10% of people <sighs> file for a refund and get it, and you're cool with that. I'm cool with it too. If maybe, maybe it will make 90% of your people show up on time as anticipated. And for you, that's the win. And you're willing to battle it out with the 10% who choose to call their credit card company. I get it. Um, I just think it's not as like, oh, brilliant, easy as people think. And so to really think through, like, are you willing to take on the administrative side of things? And if you're a newer stylist, you're still trying to build that base, please don't make it any harder than it needs to be to build a clientele. Like you are just trying to welcome people warmly into your chair, like leave it at that. Um, it is, and I, I, you've got me curious because as I've listened to this, Britt, is booking fee, a synonym for guaranteeing your appointment? Basically, well, I've seen it used a couple of ways, but I think the most common is like, hey, Michael, you wanna come in to see me for a haircut in two weeks, great. Um, the booking fee for that is $50. It'll be applied to the visit when you come in. Um, okay. if, if, you, if you cancel within blah, blah, you lose it. That's, that's yeah. mostly how, I've, that's a okay. generalization, but that's the common way. All right, so now I, I get it. It's just a, it's a, it's a language that some people would think it's uh, more eloquent than guaranteeing the appointment or whatever it is. I get it. Um, I, I'm, I'm not compelled by the terminology, but I, I um, in, in intrigued and uh, when, and I see the trend now uh, um, of guaranteeing. The appointment. Now, having said that, what I see offsetting it is, especially since COVID, virtual consultations are being reimagined on a daily basis. And that is becoming a whole experience conversation before the first visit. And there's so much credibility, trust, uh, uh, excitement generated on the, the client's behalf that while a credit card, and I, I have to start asking now, uh, people that I'm interviewing, are you still guaranteeing the appointment? Because I'm, I'm asking about, I'm not even asking, I'm getting comments like, I'm not getting no-showed anymore. 
uh, because the virtual consultation piece has evolved so much that it, it that, that touch point, the bond, the the client can't wait to get in to you know uh, to to have done whatever it was they were not just talked about but shown. That, that that consultation now is a show and tell experience, and it's happening from content from the hairdressers. Uh, it's the hairdressers palette. It's the hairdressers page. So that's what comes up in me when you ask the question. I'm obsessed with that answer, Michael. I think you're dead on. Like, if we focus more on the perceived value of seeing a stylist, like, have any of you had like a reservation at a dinner restaurant where you like waited weeks to get in there and you were dying to get in to see it and you wouldn't even think about canceling and you'd probably go in if you, even if you were sick because it was so important to you to be there? Like, rather than saying it's 150 bucks to book with me and, and you're going to be punished if you don't show up. What if we just made it so good to show up that you wouldn't even consider no showing? Like, wouldn't that be the better, easier solution? Is it more work on our part? Sure. But would we get a better result potentially? Michael, I really like your perspective yeah. of like virtual consultations. What can we do pre-appointment to really win them over? Yeah, I mean, what I, I'm, I'm being tutored as we're thinking out loud here. It, the, 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 the confirming the appointment, guaranteeing the appointment is not near the issue. The the consumer saying, "Of course, <laughs> of course, I want to. Uh, let's lock this in, right?" As a matter of fact, can I get in sooner than what you have me booked because I'm hyperventilating from the experience that I just had uh, in the virtual. Mm, that's a great point, and like I can see that too. You know, but so basically, the the responsibility is back on us, right? Like the responsibility is back on us to bring to bring them back in, which makes total sense. Here's my concern. And and I don't I don't know how I'm going to set it up necessarily, but certainly if you spend any time on with with with, you know, we have Britt and Michael here as coaches, but it, it, there's a bazillion coaches out there and everybody has these talking points. And my concern is that if you were to take every single thing that every single coach is talking about, about how we need to protect our business or how we need to do our business is that. How much friction are we going to create in our industry for our clients to just come and sit their ass down in our chair? It feels very much like this friction upon friction upon friction upon friction about you got to do this. You got to follow this rule. You got to do this. You, you know, there, there's so many rules in the way and how much of it is just friction instead of just having a human to human um, 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 human to human uh, relationship with somebody. Because uh, I, I don't know, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I know that it's concerning to me, and I don't have a solution necessarily. But I watch it over and over again. I go, this is concerning. You took me to church with that. I don't know if you saw it visually, but I was like, oh my gosh, yes! You were like hit the nail on the head. There, the hoops and the boundaries and the rules and the guidelines and the don't do this and you better do that. It's like wearing is so damn hard to just sit in our chair. It is no wonder why people are struggling. Like in what other industries, it's so freaking impossible just to get an appointment. That's okay. I'll just go down to down the street to the person who's easy to get in with. Well, it's, and, it's like where they choose to spend their money. Like they're trying to spend. Yeah. Money. Like I know in some businesses, if it's hard to spend the money, like I'll just go try to find someplace else to spend my money. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. I agree. Yeah. I'm going to always come back to um the, the to, to the degree yeah and i see your point tony it can get uh i'm just going to call it creepy sticky yeah but if you're a jedi and you really do believe and you really get the idea of my job as a service provider is to create 
I'll get geeky, uh, highly unique, uh, sustainable, uh, value-added experiences, Experience, you know, emotional episodes and moments of time that make the person that I'm serving want to feel like excited about coming back and having that experience again. To the degree that you can do that, you don't need the safety valves that, you know, you got to, you know, cut off, uh, uh, you know, uh, you don't need, you don't need all the, the, the other crap. Uh, and so my gospels are about, you know, and even today I'm saying, assuming you understand the question I'm asking about being a Jedi creating experiences, what are some new experiences that you're creating in pre-existing services that take them up in value. Um, and I don't have the answers to any of those questions, but as I throw the question out, the innovators, the early adopters are saying, here's what I've created in the last month that add newness and have uh, up-leveled value, my value. And we're not done. So anyway, I'm a ranting, I guess. So I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you a scenario where it does work, okay? If your book three or four weeks out, and then you got a new client that comes in and wants to book an appointment and they, and they put, get on your book. And uh, sometimes new clients, they, they're just iffy and they cancel at the last minute. So you can maybe do, I, I know people who do it for only new clients, the booking fee, and then they don't do it the second time when they rebook. Just because it, what happens is that when they cancel at the last minute, now they're losing money because one of their loyal clients or regular clients could have had that appointment. And uh, I know somebody who does booking fees only for new clients and it, and it works for them. I mean, I think if that makes sense too, I think it, it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier. Like if you're an established thing and you're, and you, if you're using these and, and, and I'm just going to bundle it all together and say, if you're using these boundaries to protect your business, then it makes sense to me. Um, what doesn't make sense to me is that if you're like a new stylist or or if you're just a new stylist starting off and 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 the point is to have boundaries but not have the clientele that can support the boundaries, to me it just looks like friction. I love that. One of my one of my favorite thoughts right now is like don't create solutions to problems that don't yet exist. And so often we do that, like, well, what if what if this happens? Or I've seen somebody else with this. It's like that's not your bag to worry about. So don't don't create, don't make it harder than it has to be. And you talk about new clients. I got this will be our last one uh, for this company. We can continue to go on and on and on. I know we're over an hour, but I'm gonna throw one last one out to you. Talking about a new stylist. What should be a backup plan for a new stylist when TikTok and Instagram, if they go away? Say that one again, uh, Tony. I didn't. I didn't get what, it completely. What should be a backup plan? for myself or as a new stylist, if Instagram and TikTok go away, because we spent so much time and effort trying to promote ourselves on, on these platforms. What happens if yeah. we don't have them? Well, I've, I've happened to see the last few uh, commentaries that Brit has done on that. So you, you, you really have a much broader wisdom base than I do, Brit. You, you get it going. And if I can, I'll stand on your shoulders. Please. I would love that. So I think the better question is like, what do we do when, what do we do when they do go away? 
because history tells us they're not going to be here forever. Like what, mm. what is, what do you know from 15 years ago? Are we still using today? I mean, it's very few things. So the idea that Instagram is going to be here. I mean, I said by 2025, it's over. That's been my prediction. I could be wrong, uh, but things that I've seen roll out this year, I was like, oh shoot, if we get that far, that that's my take. Um, we'll see uh, usership on the platform is at an all time low, engagement is an all time low. I understand that uh, for those of us in this room and for the stylists who are listening as business providers, it is our lifeline. So we're clinging on to it for dear life. Consumers are not consumer and i mean talk to your friends family spouses kids whoever and ask them hey are you still showing up on instagram daily ask them and, and let me know what they say i know what the answer is going to be because i asked that question they're not so usership on the platform is waning when you look at a platform like TikTok. It's a it's a big platform. It's a growing platform. Um, I won't even get into the legalities of it. Let's pretend that there's no legal issues with it. And let's just say it is what it is. I talked if anybody knows Gary Vaynerchuk, I had him come in as a panelist at an event I had in 2021. And I asked him, I said, my concern with TikTok is it's not optimized for local small business. And he said, you're exactly right. That is my concern also. And if they don't overcome that, they're going to have an issue long term. TikTok is rad. It's great for industry educators. There are some stylists and salons who have definitely blown up on TikTok. I don't know any, I don't know a ton who can say, and it directly attributed to a huge income onslaught for me. I don't hear that story very often. So, and, and when you look at who uses TikTok, who was it at the beginning, Tony or Corey, somebody said, TikTok is where I go to what? Escape, to scroll. Like, are you there looking for service providers or for a restaurant to go to on a Saturday night? No, not no, usually. No, no, definitely not. It's 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 like history. It's become mindless. It, it, it definitely has. I mean, for me, it's become the new the the weird nuanced shit that I'm into. That's <laughs> right. Know, but not. But I'm not looking for services though. That's still to me, um, um, Instagram. But you know, Britt. I mean, you know, you said, and maybe you have some insight in this. I don't know. But um, you said, you know, what are we using 15 years ago that we're still using today? There's definitely truth to that. You know, um, I would say that 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 at least within kind of that time period. You know, we were using Facebook a lot and then and then Instagram came and took over that space. It took over that attention, you know, so so if I don't think that 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 and I'm totally speaking out of school. Let me be clear. But by 2025, if there's not something there to replace it, I don't think we're all just going to disappear and stop and stop hanging out in social in social spaces. So yeah. is there insight to say this might I mean, you you brought it up earlier. We just don't know. Right. We don't know. We, we thought Clubhouse was going to be that. And, you know, for about two months, Clubhouse was that 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 is what took our attention. Thank you for bringing that up and bringing it back full circle. Um, Facebook did exist. Oh, gosh, I was. I was like a college age kid when Facebook came out. It was probably like 2004. I can't, I don't quote me on that. 2003, 2004, somewhere around there, Facebook was born. But what was it for at the time? College kids only. And how many iterations has it had since then? Hundreds. So to think Instagram in five years is going to be what it is now, I think it's foolish. Is Instagram what it was in 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019? And so at like some point we have to grieve the loss of what was and look forward to the future. I personally think we're at this crossroads right now. I understand everyone's gripping on for dear life and hoping I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I still post on Instagram every day. Like, I hope I'm wrong. That would be great for me. So hopefully I'm wrong. Um, but when we look at like, okay, so, okay. But the question was, so what do we do? 
Something I've always coached to, and my Thriver Society members will tell you, is I've never coached to gimmicks or trends. Never. And instead, I coach to really smart business decisions. So when looking at marketing specifically, I have a marketing funnel. It starts with awareness, interest, desire, and opportunity. Four pillars every time I've coached to it since 2012. Okay. When you look at the interest level, that is social media. On the social media level, we have Instagram and TikTok. We have Facebook. We have the Nextdoor app. We have Google My Business. Yelp, everybody's favorite four-letter word. I know it. Uh, we got Pinterest. And, and then we have Lemonade and we have Clubhouse and all these things that haven't even been born yet. The interest sector will continue to grow for the foreseeable future. To what you said, if it's not TikTok or if it's not Instagram, it will be something else. Um, I think everyone is smart right now to diversify their efforts to online review sites. To me, I've been preaching to that since 2012. I know that everybody preferred Instagram. Totally get it. Review sites are the easier shot. They're the money shot. Um, what I want people to keep in mind, though, is that is simply the interest level of your marketing funnel. You can go all in on any of those platforms. Generally speaking, you're not safe proofing your business like a lot of people who have only leveraged a platform or two are going to find in a few years. Um, so I think just buffering yourself, I always call it diversifying your marketing efforts is your best bet. Like take this opportunity to get curious and see what else is out there and try some stuff that maybe made you uncomfortable because it's kind of like investing money where it's like when you have a plan B, when something else is going well, losing plan A is much less scary, you know? Michael? I'm, I'm primarily a student here. I'm listening big, big time. And my take is, what is my plan B, basically, right? Um, in, you know, my confession to anybody that's interested is that there's just too much of my correspondence, communication, engagement that's happening on, I'm going to just call it a platform, a social media platform. Instagram is, happens to to be mine. There's a little sidebar in the back called Facebook. And I, like you said, I, I'm on uh, TikTok because to, to demonstrate that I'm in the game, if you will, but to, I loved how you put it, Tony, is that uh, we, we uh, it, it, uh, it was Corey, not Tony, that said, yeah, I go there to just scroll and see and entertain myself. Um, what will the next, what I hear Britt saying is what will next be? Stay tuned, more will be revealed, but have a plan B. Um, and I don't have, I, you know, I understand the question. I'm really interested in engaging people like you and other people around the answer because I'm, I know enough to make me dangerous with regard to the answer to that question. Right. Is this like an area where, because you know how usually young people usually adapt to things way before uh, uh, a lot of us, uh, older people, but, uh, so is it, is this something like, you know, as a salon owner or a salon leader, uh, to, because a lot, you know, even though I ask about young hairdressers, usually they're the ones that are, are more innovative and, they, and they're catching on to the next thing way before, uh, us, uh, I guess, I mean, it's not like a, a salon leader could actually, I mean, unless they catch on to it first, but just be aware, I guess, watching the, watching the young people. Stay awake. Stay awake. I, Stay love, awake. That. Yeah. 
That sounds mm-hmm. like the title of uh, of the podcast, you know, <laughs> Britain Michael Cole, stay awake. I yeah. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, uh, stay tuned. Um, well, I mean, again, to kind of bring it full circle, Britain, I could be 100% wrong, but, you know, I, I think that 2025, like, we're going to be like, like two feet into AI. So whatever's happening is probably going to end up being within that AI space. You know, I don't see, you know, not just within the industry, but within the world, this is where all the attention is now. Um, and this is where a lot of the money and the investments are are being made from 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 a uh, you know from a Silicon Valley uh, um, type type of space you know so I, I would I would guess that that's that that's going to kind of be it I don't know how it's going to affect our industry I don't think anybody has those kind of answers. God. I, I love I love that you said that and I love that Michael said stay awake because I think to what you're saying you're exactly right it's scary to not know what the next what's the what's next like it's scary to be like a little bit in free fall but it's also we're we're stepping into a, an era of opportunity so see it as exciting and get curious and stay awake um because good things will come to those who who choose to just tune in and and focus on their business i love how you put it in rap my rap and it is uh brit when you said um this is this is about ai not chat GPT. And now I get, I stopped asking a question I've been asking for a few years. What's web 3.0? I don't ask that question anymore. It's, you know, it's, it's AI and whatever it looks like today, stay tuned, more will be revealed. I, my hunch is the question we were entertaining 30 seconds ago, the answer is inside of that, that platform, that play. I just don't know what it is yet. I love it. Guys, this was like the most entertaining podcast that 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 we've done in a long, long time. I appreciate you guys' time. I appreciate this conversation. Um, I'm gonna do the awkward ask and like I would love to do this quarterly or 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 every other or every six months or something. I just think that there's so much value um that 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 having you guys um on the podcast bring to uh bring to the industry as a whole. And um I, I just can't thank you guys enough. And you know, thank you for the friendship. Thank you for being yeah. here. Thank you for, for everything. Thank you for always being available to us. I mean uh, honestly as we sit here just it, we, I wear humble shoes. Well I mean confession to the room uh Tony and Corey should be able to to double down on this i basically begged them to let me back on i was like let me come back with michael i want i'm I'm not done yet this was way too much fun so truly like thank y'all for holding the space for michael and myself like i've really enjoyed our time together and for me i would i mean if the people enjoy it, i would love to keep this going because like selfishly i really enjoy it i'm yeah. very grateful very grateful <laughs> ditto 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 i mean I, i've really i've been looking forward to this it was alive and well in me for it still is for the last time we hung out, which has to be four or five months ago. So you had me at hello. Uh, you know, you say when Tony uh, and, and, and Corey and, and Britt and I'll be there. Wonderful. Mm, awesome. I All love right. it. We, we'll, 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 we'll say when. I know. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we could, okay. do, we could do part two because, you know, we only got through about like a, a quarter of the questions. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, but that that's good though, right? That that's that's really yeah. good. I, I love I love that uh, so much. Um, Michael Cole, Miss Britt Siva, thank you guys very very oh. much for joining us on your day off.
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, share it with friends. Give us a rating and drop a review. To listen to all the latest podcasts, please subscribe from your favorite podcast outlet. And to stay connected on and off the show, you can follow us at Hairdistry on Instagram and all other social media platforms. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Peace and love.